Morning, everybody. Thanks for being here today. I hope you've all enjoyed a great Thanksgiving holiday. And I'm sure you're still feasting on all the leftovers from Thanksgiving dinner. You know, for years I was hopelessly addicted to Thanksgiving leftovers. But I just quit cold turkey. Some of you are a little slower than others. Thanksgiving is a year-round event for the believer. It's not a one-day-a-year holiday. Gratitude to God, a heart of thankfulness. It's the most natural response of a Christian to the goodness and grace of God. And, of course, it's a great American holiday, but its roots are in the Scripture and in the hearts of those who first, the, the early Americans who first celebrated it. You know, if you pull up an online concordance and search on the phrase, give thanks, it'll pull up 48 different verses. You search on the phrase, give thanks for he is good, that's seven. It'll pull up seven different references. Clearly, the concept of thankfulness and gratitude is one that runs, it's a major Bible theme, runs all the way through. And today, we're going to let that spirit of thankfulness spill over <clears throat> into the celebration of the Lord's Supper, which you see laid out here on the table before us, remembering and thanking God for the forgiveness of sins and for the salvation that is made possible to us through the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And I want to take a few minutes to help us understand the New Testament teaching on the ordinance of the Lord's Supper before we go ahead and celebrate it. Now, as a Protestant church in the Baptist tradition, FCC, we recognize and practice two Christian ordinances based on the New Testament. Believers' baptism by immersion, which we celebrated together and witnessed that last week. And then today, the second of those two Christian ordinances, the Lord's Supper, uh, which is based on the Last Supper, which Jesus shared with his disciples on the night prior to his crucifixion. It's recorded for us in the Gospels. And it's also commended to us by the Apostle Paul in the text that I want us to read together this morning, 1 Corinthians 11. It's an ongoing ordinance of remembrance. And if you would open your Bible or the Pew Bible to page 930, 1 Corinthians 11, I want us to read a good chunk of this chapter together and then make some comments from it. So look at 1 Corinthians 11, and I'm going to start at verse 17 and read through the rest of the chapter, all right? So follow along as I read it. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. 
For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not, finally, we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. <clears throat> the Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the church. Now, perhaps the word ordinance is new to you, or you're unsure what that means. Some churches use the word sacrament, and though I don't want to harangue over words, I prefer the word ordinance. And the reason is the, the word sacrament tends to imply that there's some grace automatically imputed by the mere undergoing of the ritual, like that forgiveness is obtained by the mere act of being baptized, or that blessing is received, or spiritual change is enacted by the mere eating of the bread or drinking of the cup. That's not the Protestant view. So for me, the word ordinance is to be preferred. And it's based on the fact that Jesus himself ordained that we should practice these things. For instance, go and make disciples, he said, baptizing them. He ordained that we should do that. And he said to his his disciples, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. He's ordained that we practice this. So I want to make two statements about the Lord's Supper, what it means, and uh, so that we can understand what we're doing here this morning and be prepared to partake in it together. And the first statement I want to make is this. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance to be repeated, focusing on remembering Christ's death for us. Now, <clears throat> unlike baptism, which a believer undergoes just once, the Lord suffers an ordinance which the believers practice with regularity, repeatedly, not just once. Now, at FCC, we celebrate the Lord's Supper five or six times a year. Now, some of you may think that's too infrequent. I'm sure the people who fill the little cups think it's far too often. The frequency with which believers practice the Lord's Supper is not stipulated in the New Testament. Some churches do it weekly, others do it quarterly, but we know from Scripture that Jesus himself instituted this ordinance. That's why we call it the Lord's Supper. 
And the repeated nature of it is suggested by his words, do this in remembrance of me. Remembering requires that we repeat it. And then Paul, in the text we just read, he discusses the Lord's Supper with his readers. It's clear that Christ's followers, at the time they received this letter from him, had already been practicing this uh, ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and Paul wanted them to continue that. So he says in verse 24, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Keep remembering, keep proclaiming till he comes. It's a repeated ordinance. But what are we to remember? And I think there's two things uh, that we're remembering and proclaiming when we take the Lord's Supper. The death of Jesus on our behalf, his broken body, his shed blood. We remember the first thing is his death is the heart of the gospel and it reminds us that sin is serious and its wages is death. Sin's serious and its wages is death. Now this theme can be traced from the very beginning from the Garden of Eden when God clothed Adam and Eve in animal skins following their rebellion, an animal died. And so the concept, concept of a substitutionary atonement began in the Garden of Eden. You see it again shortly thereafter in Abel's offering of animals from his flock was accepted by God, whereas Cain's offering of fruit of the ground was rejected. We see it so clearly years later when a perfect lamb was slaughtered and its blood painted on the door frames of the houses of the Israelites' houses on the eve of Passover um, when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. And this became for them an ongoing celebration. That is what Jesus and his followers were celebrating that night when he said, this is my body broken for you. And he was saying, I am about to be that lamb. Three years earlier, John the Baptist had seen Jesus approaching from the distance and said to his followers, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So your forgiveness in mine rests on the sacrificial death of the perfect son of God. Paul would later write, he, talking of Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us, substitution. Why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is the good news. This is the gospel, that there is one and only one whose broken body and shed blood makes our forgiveness possible. So Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And he was associating himself so very clearly with that Passover lamb whose death in the place of the firstborn provided deliverance in the first Passover. And now Jesus' death in the place of sinners is the fulfillment of what was pictured by that celebration over many, many years. The other thing that the Lord's Supper reminds us of is not just sin, its seriousness and its wages, but also reminding us of God's love, his supreme love for us. I love the way John is eloquent with 
the love of God in Christ. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Later in his first, his first letter, John would write, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave, his, gave himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus himself had told his disciples, also recorded for us in the Gospel of John, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus ordained that we be reminded with regularity of his love for us. And he's given us a tangible reminder of that love. It's bread that we can taste. It's, it's a cup that we can savor and smell. And, and it's, 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 it's elements that we can hold in our fingers and feel and observe with our eyes and experience with all of our senses. And in a symbolic way, we take this reminder of his love, not just into our hearts and minds, but even into our bodies as we eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of him. And the message that Jesus has for you today at this table is, I love you. I love you. This is my body broken for you. My blood shed for you. I love you. Here's a second statement that we need to understand about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of reflection. Reflection. Focusing on reconciliation with others and renewal of our commitment to Christ. According to what Paul has written, and we read it together, the Lord's Supper includes taking time to reflect on one's life and the status of one's walk with God and with others. He wrote in verses 28 and 29, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Examine yourselves, he says. And I think there's two areas worth considering about myself and you about yourself as we come to take the Lord's Supper. And the first is my relationships with others, the need for reconciliation and forgiveness. And the second would be my spiritual health and walk with God. That's my own personal spiritual renewal. So take stock of where you're at, Paul says, horizontally with others and vertically in your relationship with God. Both of those areas call for us to examine ourselves. Now, when you were listening and reading along with me, did it not feel like we were listening in on a phone conversation? We were only getting half of the, what was being said. I feel that way as I read this chapter. Now, surely Paul and his original readers understand exactly what he was talking about when he was mentioning their divi the divisions among them and some of the unloving ways that some of the believers were behaving towards the others, you know, getting drunk, not waiting for one another. It's generally believed that Paul is describing a a uh, ritual that the early Christians practiced together where they would meet for what was called an agape dinner. Agape is the Greek word for love. Maybe it would become comparable to a, a modern-day potluck fellowship dinner. But lack of consideration for others, divisions, unkind treatment of the rich toward the poor, there wasn't a whole lot of agape going on, it would seem to 
seem to be. So Paul says, before you take the Lord's Supper, make some things right with others. And this is the first area of self-examination. Make things right with others. Offer forgiveness. Let go of your resentment and grudges. Show kindness. Learn to say, I'm sorry. Let love for one another be what distinguishes you as Christ's followers. Take time to make things right. Be reconciled to one another. You know, it's really, think about it this way, celebrating Christ's forgiveness by taking the Lord's Supper while at the same time being unwilling to forgive someone else is a contradiction. Because he has forgiven us. Celebrating his forgiveness means that I must be willing to forgive others. Against whom are you holding a grudge today? Someone you don't want to forgive because they don't deserve it. Of course they don't deserve it. That's why we call it forgiveness. It's a gift that you give them, not because they deserve it, but because God has given that gift first to you. The forgiveness he's given you through Christ. Anyone come to mind? Maybe before we eat this bread and drink this cup, you need to let it go. Maybe you can't fix everything right here and now, but maybe on your part, in your heart, you just need to let it go. Maybe you need to say to God, I don't want to forgive them, but I, I want you to help me forgive them because I know that you have forgiven me. And then the second area for self-examination, as I mentioned, is personal renewal. It means reflecting on your relationship with God, repenting of any sins that have hindered your fellowship, and committing yourself anew, wholeheartedly surrendering anew to all that you are to him. And even for mature, seasoned believers, the need for renewal is an, a continual, ongoing priority. So in the Gospel of John, we, we learn that on the same night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he did something else that was pretty interesting. He washed their feet. Do you remember that? Peter objected to this. You recall this? John tells us. Peter objected because it didn't seem right to him that the Lord and Master should lower himself to the role of a servant to wash our feet. And he said, you will never wash my feet. It's all or nothing with him. But he quickly changed his tune, right? When, when Jesus said, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Okay, so head to toe now. Jesus' answer to Peter at that moment, I think, is very instructive. He says, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. And with that statement, he was referring to Judas, who was not a true believer. Jesus was doing more here than just modeling the humble service that should characterize our treatment of one another. He was using the washing of feet as a figure for the regular renewal that even those who are clean, that is, have been forgiven of their sins and declared righteous by God, even they need to be refreshed in their faith through regular repentance and renewal. 
See, even as believers, we go through life, we walk through life, and we pick up dirt. Our feet get dirty and dusty, spiritually speaking. True, we are children of God. That will never change. But we still wrestle with temptation, and sometimes we give in to it. We still struggle against sin, and sometimes we fail and fall. Some, we know the right thing that we should do, and we often don't do it. We need, time, we need to take time to reflect on that, to repent as, as needed, and recommit ourselves to Christ. We are clean, but our feet have gotten soiled and need to be washed. And the Lord's Supper is a moment to take time to reflect on that. To reflect on our walk with God and to be renewed in our faith. Examine yourselves, Paul says. Embrace anew the forgiveness Christ makes available to us. Confess your sins. Be renewed in your faith. Recommit yourself to God. And I want to give you a moment to do that in quiet here. Just between you and God to pray and make things right as needed to renew, to repent, to refresh, to recommit yourself to him. So I'm going to invite the guys that are going to help me serve the Lord's, Lord's Supper here to come on down and we'll sit here across the front. And I just want to give you a moment or two in quiet with the Lord. Take a moment to talk to him.